Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Who was able to be here last Sunday to hear Chris, Christopher talk about starting us off on a new series called Gospel Encounters? So we've got very kind of like stylized, comic style. I think this was like in the 90s and then it's been a bit of a comeback, I think. The media guys are so like savvy about what actually looks good at the moment, so I'm told that is it. <laughs> they do a brilliant job. And we're talking about gospel encounters, and, and where we're going to do, um, where we're going to spend quite a lot of our time over the next few months is, is in the gospels, looking at how Jesus uh, dealt with people and how people dealt with Jesus, and what we can learn from that. And these wonderful everyday encounters that people had with the Son of God. <laughs> everyday people in an everyday environment on the streets, the dusty streets of the Middle East and the encounters that they had with Jesus and what we can learn from those things. And to know that Jesus is in us and he's with us by his Holy Spirit in our everyday lives and therefore when people meet us, they meet the Jesus in us and the Holy Spirit wants to move and impact everyday lives in everyday places every day. That sound good? I think it does anyway, it sounds good. There's a bit of uh, rain on the roof and it kind of feels a bit cozy, but please don't fall asleep, so I'll try and... Uh, and Hot Rock 4 and 5, where are the, if you're in Hot Rock 4 and 5, can you give me a wave? Can you stand on your chairs if you're in Hot Rock 4 and 5 for a minute? Permission to stand on chairs. Let's give the Hot Rock 4 and 5 a big round of applause. <laughs> Wonderful, thank you guys. You can sit back down again. But do you know what? One of the things that God wants you to know, Jesus wants you to know, is he wants to speak with you today. I know he speaks to you because I've heard the things that God has said to you. I was up with Hot Rock 4 and 5 last Sunday morning, went out of the meeting to be with Hot Rock 4 and 5, and it was great to hear what God is saying to our children. Amen. And last Sunday, uh, the, the children came down and everybody under the age of 20 came down to the front to kneel before the Lord because of a, a, a word that came, particularly through Sarah. And it was really powerful to see these young lives surrendered to God. And the word that came was, this is where it's going to work. This is where you're going to know power, on your knees, worshipping Jesus, honouring him and knowing him. And Jesus is here today, children and adults, and he's moving among us by his Holy Spirit. So expect him sometimes to tap you on the shoulder and say, oi, that was for you, okay? Expect that to happen. I am... Um, um, my gospel encounter today is about how different people reacted and responded to Jesus and how Jesus was never put off by appearances. Because looks can be deceiving, can't they? So I've got this here. If anybody saw this on a bookshelf or in a library, would anybody be particularly in inspired to pick it up and have a look? I don't think so, really, because the cover doesn't really look that interesting. It looks a bit tatty. It looks like I've just put it together this morning <laughs> in my office, stuck three pieces of white paper together, managed to find a brown crayon and colored it in. That's what it looks like, doesn't it? But it's oh so much more than that. Because actually, when you open it up, there's all sorts of interesting pictures and images, things to learn. It's rich and it's colorful and it's engaging and it speaks of creation and it speaks of diversity and wonder and awe. And actually inside this boring book is something really beautiful and inspirational and wonderful. 
that if I just judged it by its cover, I wouldn't even open it. But when I open it, I'm like, I was not expecting to see that. There's so much in here for me. Has anybody ever been guilty of judging a person based on that first look? Guilty as charged. And we know, don't we? We do know looks can be deceiving. We do know that old saying, never judge a book by its cover. But how often do we do that? We see somebody or we meet somebody and based on how they look, it might be their height, it might be the color of their skin, it might be their age, it might be their clothing, it might be the tattoos, the piercings or none of those, their hairstyle, whatever it might be, we look at them and we make a judgment. And sometimes we make a judgment even on whether they'll believe in Jesus or not. Oh, no chance that that person would ever receive Jesus into their hearts until they take those piercings out, cover up their tattoos and put on some decent clothing. Or that person looks far too wealthy, far too affluent. They don't need Jesus. They've got everything they need. That person is just, they're too messed up. There's too many problems there. They're never going to receive Jesus or no Jesus. And God says, no, stop that. I'm not interested in the externals. I'm not interested in the outer appearance. I'm looking far deeper than that. I'm looking at the heart. Looks can be deceiving. And that's what we learn in the Gospels. I've got two short videos I'd like to show where that kind of highlight this point of how looks can be deceiving. So if you could show those, that would be great. Those two clips show that looks really can be deceiving. In the first one, the ice cream van and what it offered looked really good. And those minions are running up to it, expecting to get something good from this ice cream van. But actually, this ice cream van is not good at all. It's bad. It's sinister. And instead of them getting something from it, it gets them. And it catches them. And even the, the other one, when it managed to get a chance to run away, is still tricked by that lolly that looks good, but actually traps him and takes him in. Sin's like that. Sin is just like that. It looks good. But when we buy into it, when we, when we move towards it, it takes us and it takes us captive. That's why we need saving. And then the second one, I think the, oftentimes on The Voice, they show you the person who's singing way before they start performing. There's always a bit of a backstory, then they come out. And this time they were very, very, very careful not to show the singer until the first judge did the douche. Why? Because... They were shocked by the, the, the person from which that voice was coming. If you were walking past that guy in the street listening to him sing that song in your headphones, you'd never think, oh, there he is. That's the guy that was singing that. He just looked ordinary. He looked too normal. He didn't look like that, that this incredible voice would come from that individual on the face of things. And yet, that amazing voice and that talent was in there. And so we really need to be aware of how looks can be deceiving and that God has called us to be different. He's called us to be like him. I said a few weeks ago that the proverb in the Bible that says, ears to hear and eyes to see are a gift from the Lord. What does that mean? It means God is the God who wants us to really see and really hear discernment of what's going on beyond the externals, beyond the physical. And far too often, we're dictated to by what we see and what we hear in the natural, aren't we? Far too often. But Jesus wasn't like that. That's what I love about Jesus' example for us. He sees a huge crowd. He gets off a boat, a huge crowd. He talks and he teaches, and there's thousands and thousands of people around him. It's getting late, and he says, right, it's time to feed the crowds. 
And the disciples, he knows how much or how little he has. Is he phased by that? No, because he's not put off by what he sees of the externals. He knows the resources of heaven that are available to him. And he takes the bread and he takes the fish, this little packed lunch, and he feeds the multitude. Or Jesus encounters people with um, a man born blind. I wonder if he even had eyeballs in his sockets. People with a man with a withered hand or, or men and women affected by leprosy where their skin had turned white and limbs had fallen away or been withered to everybody else would have been repulsed. They would have kept as much distance from them as possible. And what do we see Jesus doing? Comes up to them and he touches them and he takes them and he holds them and he speaks to them and he comes within breathing distance of them. Jesus, would Jesus have gone near somebody with coronavirus? Would Jesus have, have spoken to the Ebola sufferer? Or the person with this condition or that condition? HIV? Absolutely he would. Because he didn't see the sickness, he saw the person that was carrying that and is full of compassion for them. And he embraces them and he touches them and he's, he's not repulsed, he's not put off by them, by the severity or by the chronicity or the deformity. He just restores them where they are. He lands in another place. Every time Jesus lands, he's confronted with all sorts of different things. This time he lands and, a, and, a, and this madman who cuts himself and hangs around by graveyards and he's got chains around him, runs towards Jesus. Jesus didn't say, back in the boat. Let's go. <laughs> Jesus stands with authority and calmness. And he says to the legion of demons, Out. And they plead with Jesus and they beg Jesus. Or Jesus is in the boat with the storm raging around him. Sound familiar? And with calmness, he says, peace, be still. You know, we, we see people, we see situations, we see circumstances in the natural and we're dictated to them and we decide what's going on and actually we've never even asked God about it. I was reading Job recently. Job's friends are just like that. They see a man suffering. They say, you must be sinning. We know the backstory because I don't think, sometimes I think if we hadn't read the backstory, we might be with his friends. And we realize this man is actually righteous. God is allowing a testing to take place, an evidence of righteousness to be revealed. And so we must be so careful never to judge a book by its cover, never to allow looks to deceive us, but instead to be like Jesus, those encounters with people, individuals, groups of people where he saw things as they really were. Why? Because his ears heard and his eyes saw the Lord's perspective, the Father's perspective. He saw what the Father saw, he heard what the Father heard, and then he said and did those things in line with that. God wants us to be like that in our workplaces. I've been challenged on that personally in my own life. When I worked as a physiotherapist, I'd, I think I've shared this before, I'd walk back from lunch through the waiting area and I'd have read before lunch who my patient was. I'd have had their age, their name, and a rough idea of who they were. And so therefore, you're kind of looking about who you're going to be with for the next 45 minutes as you head back towards your clinic to get your notes to call them out. And there are times I would look across the room and I thought, it's them, it's you. And I didn't say that. And then it would depend on whether I thought the next 45 minutes were going to be interesting or not. And actually, you felt challenged by the Holy Spirit on that. And once I sat with a lady who I thought she just looked dour and dire and morbid, and I thought, this is going to be an interesting 45 minutes. And I sat with her, and as I, I spoke with her, she opened her heart, and she talked about things, and I had this great compassion for her. The Holy Spirit challenged me, and he said, don't judge on the outer. 
And you know what? We often find what goes on within when we actually get beyond that barrier of writing things off and reaching out and actually talking, engaging, and making contact with people. That's what God wants us to do. And then the Holy Spirit starts to speak to us in that. And there's three examples I want to look at. And the first example where other people would have written them off, seeing them as a distraction, seeing them as um, an imposition, seeing them as an inconvenience, the first group I want to talk, to talk about is children. So if you're in Hot Rock 4 or 5, give me a wave. If you're a child, give me a wave. Okay. There's the story of Jesus and the children. We read this, Steve Harvey read this verse last Sunday in Mark 10, 13 to 16. It's repeated in the other Gospels. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus. Can I just say, parents, if that's what you're doing, you're doing the very best thing you could possibly do to bring your children to Jesus, to engage with your children in the gatherings and talk to them about Jesus, to ask them what the Holy Spirit is saying. And and these parents are bringing their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and bless them. But the bodyguards, the heavy mob, The disciples are watching Jesus back. And what do the disciples do when they see these children being brought to Jesus by their parents? They scolded the parents for bothering him. And then Jesus looks and he sees what's happening. You're not coming to see Jesus right now. He's too busy for kids. Children should be seen and not heard. They are an inconvenience. Please move away from the Messiah. (laughs) And Jesus hears this tone, here's this voice, and Jesus gets angry. Jesus is angry with his, Jesus, little Jesus, meek and mild, yeah. Jesus was angry with his disciples because they were misrepresenting him, misrepresenting God. He was angry with his disciples, and he says, "Oi, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. To the disciples, children were small and trivial. To the disciples, children were a pressure. But to Jesus, the children were precious. And they weren't small and trivial at all. In fact, they were an example for us and to us of how we are to be. Rather than being small or trivial, Jesus says, no, these are an example of acceptance and dependence. Acceptance and dependence. He says the kingdom of God belongs to them. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're like a child. And it's not just about simplicity of faith. It's because the children believed who Jesus said he was. There's a lot of people who didn't believe Jesus when he said who he was. They thought he was lots of other things, but the children believed him. They believed what Jesus said. There was that simple acceptance and trust. But here's the other thing that we can learn from children. Dependence. If you're in Hot Rock today, could you just stand on your chair for a minute? I need to see you because I need to know just how your morning's gone so far. So if you wouldn't mind just standing back up on your chair. If you've had breakfast today, could you just give me a wave? Okay, great. If you got dressed today, could you just give me a wave? (laughs) Wonderful news. And if you came here in a car, could you give me a wave? Great. And if you came here with an adult, could you give me a wave? Brilliant. Thank you very much. Excellent waving. Please take your seats again for a minute. I'm so glad that every child had breakfast, got dressed, and came here with an adult. 
Could you imagine if, if you're in Hot Rock 4 or 5, if this morning you got up, it was just you in your own house, and you had to go down and get your own breakfast that you got from the shops earlier in the week, you got yourself dressed with the clothes that you bought, and then you made your way to church. You drove to church. There's a laugh, but it's a nervous laugh. Don't do that. No, you didn't do that because you totally depend, and rightly so, on your parents for those things. It's your mom or your dad or your grandparents or the people who look after you that gave you a lovely home to wake up in, a lovely bed to wake up in, gave you breakfast to put in your stomachs, but you gave you clothes to put on your back, and they brought you to church. That's their, their job. And it would be wrong if they didn't do that, and you don't even question it. You just depend on your parents. And Jesus says this, that's how I want all of my children to be totally, completely, and utterly dependent on the Father. That's how we receive the kingdom of God. It's total dependence. It's not, Lord, thanks very much. I can sort my own food out now. I don't need you to provide for me anymore. Thank you, Lord, I'm able to look after myself. I don't need your protection anymore. Lord, I'm gifted enough now. I don't need your provision to help me in the day-to-day workings of life. I'm very experienced now. Thanks all the same. But no, absolutely, every day, in every way, we recognize completely our dependence on him. That's why children are such a wonderful example to us. Is Isaac here? Isaac, would you mind coming forward a minute? Isaac shared something at Hot Rock. Can I have the microphone a sec, please, Rich? Can we give Isaac a really round round of applause? Have you got that? You okay to read it? Yeah. So this is Isaac. Everybody, everybody, Isaac. So this is what Isaac read last uh, Sunday in Hot Rock. On Thursday night, I realised that I had a song song stuck in my head. Before long, it became clear that it wasn't the whole song playing in my head. It was three words, keep in touch. Then a thought occurred to me. What if God was trying to remind me that he's there for our worries and will always respond to our prayers, that he will keep in touch? I thought about this, and suddenly an answer echoed in my mind. Yes. <laughs> a simple but effective word. He wants us all to know that he will be there for us forever. Amen. Did you, did you mind praying? Just to pray that God, people would know God being close to them. Is that okay? I, um, this isn't tokenism. This isn't patronizing. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to Isaac and to us. Okay? And Isaac, you've got something now. I'd like you to pray. If, you, if you're here today and you need to know the closeness of God in a fresh way, you've moved away a little bit or you've, you've, you've gone and done things a bit more independently, today's the fresh moment just to say, Lord, I want to be totally dependent on you. Thank you, Lord, that you're in touch. You're keeping in touch with me and I'm keeping in touch with you. And I'm just going to ask Isaac, if you would just pray that you'd know God being close to you right now. Is that okay? So if you're here this morning and that's something for you, This is the chance for you to respond as Isaac prays. Our Father, I pray that you will help us all to know you and depend on you. Yes. I pray that you will help us to keep in touch. Yes, amen. That you will um, be with us. Yes, amen. 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 Thank you, Isaac. Keep in touch. Dependence on him. And Jesus says, you look at the children, you dismiss them, patronize them, look down on them, see them as inconvenience. I'm telling you this, they're an example to you. 
this is how you should be. And I read that and I'm challenged and I say, thank you, Lord. I hear about an 11-year-old in youth giving his life to Jesus last Friday. And I think, I'm not going to dismiss that as something trivial. I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus, that you've saved a young man in his, in his early years so that he can follow you from a young age. That we get excited about what the children have. Kids, you've got something for us that we need. And then Jesus meets a Syrophoenician woman, this, this lady, a very different person to the children with their parents. But it's a, she's a mother all the same. But in Mark 7, 24 to 30, the story is told for us. It says, Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit and she begged him to cast the demon out from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile woman born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, firstly, I should feed the family, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Wow. She replied, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from under the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in her bed. And the demon was gone. It's a powerful story. It's a challenging story. Jesus has tried to remove himself from the busyness. He's actually hiding out in a house. He's trying to have a a bit of time away from the spotlight and from people being around him. But guess what? People find where he is. And Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's regarded as a religious teacher. And for a rabbi, they would not have much to do with anything other than Jewish men. They'd have very little to do with Jewish women. They'd have even less to do with Gentile and Samaritan women, which is why it's such a shock when Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman in John 4. And one thing that women would never do to a rabbi is touch him. And yet here's Jesus in a house and this Gentile woman breaks through the doors, comes in and throws herself and grabs his feet. I mean, she's breaking every social and religious rule you can think of in that moment. And Jesus has to bring a challenge to it, but he's also there to look at the heart. What do you think people in the room with Jesus would have thought on their first impressions of this woman? She's a nightmare. She's got no respect. She's, she's, she's a troublemaker. Usher her out. She's, she's causing up. She's making a mess of this meeting. It was all so ordered and things were going so well. And then this woman breaks in and we were all around Jesus. And now she's grabbed Jesus' feet. And I think the Holy Spirit's gone now. We probably won't be able to meet for three weeks until we're cleansed. You know, when the world breaks in, sometimes you've got to recognize what's happening. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus comes back with a challenge. He says, I'm here for the children. I'm here for my family. I'm here for the Jews. Why are you acting like this? And and to everybody around her, they see this disrespect and this difficult woman. But Jesus goes and speaks to her and challenges her. And he finds a woman who's determined and desperate. And his his response seems harsh. But in, in his harshness, he's not being cruel. He's uncovering her heart. He's finding out her motives. Chris talked really well last week about questions and one-to-ones and the one-to-ones that Jesus had and the questions that he asked. And Jesus asked questions because he wanted to reveal the heart behind the question. Don't feel pressured to answer every question that every person gives you. Don't be pressured to react to every situation you find yourself in. Allow the Holy Spirit to help us in that. 
And sometimes, when somebody asks us a question, the best thing we can do is ask them a question. Because in so doing, we start to uncover the motive behind the question. And in this statement that Jesus gives, he, he brings a rebuke almost. But in so doing, her heart is exposed. You know, when God rebukes us, when Jesus disciplines us, it's because he loves us. And we may not like it, but it does reveal where our heart is. And Jesus says to her, basically, you're a dog. I mean, this is harsh stuff. And she could have said, oh, how very dare you. I'm off. But she doesn't. She says, no, you're right. I don't deserve anything. But, but I'm here and I'm, I'm asking for the scrap. She humbles herself before him. You know, when God disciplines us, when God rebukes us, when God challenges us, the best thing we can do is, is humbly say, Lord, please help me. And that's what happens. And in that moment, Jesus says, what a great answer. I can see your heart. Your daughter is healed. Your daughter is well. And everybody else would have written off and ushered out of the room. Jesus engages with her. He helps her. He uncovers her heart and he heals her daughter. And a whole family is transformed. Children, the Syrophoenician one. And the last person I want to look at is the centurion. So we've got a video clip. It's not great quality, but the media guy still allowed me to show it. It's three minutes long, and it tells the story of the verses that I'd have read from Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, but it's nice to watch it, and this will just be the last uh, short point before we, we close. You know, God doesn't want us to just judge on the outward appearance, and I love that description. You know, that Roman guard, to others around him, would have seen strong and tough, a man of security, a man of power, disliked by some, revered by others. And sometimes we see people who are helping others and they're leaders in society and we think they're too strong, they're too tough. We used to go and uh, share our faith out on the streets in, in a, a town called Ebervale and Tredegar, which are another valley's towns up from uh, Merthyr Tidville where I grew up. And you'd see these lads or these girls and they looked tough and they looked strong. They looked like proper roadmen and they were sort of there and they, they didn't look like they needed anything. That was for the youth. But... We call them Kens. But actually, when you did start to talk, some of them responded to the gospel and they were saved and God transformed them and they seemed strong, they seemed tough, they seemed like they would be too, too hard a nut to crack and yet underneath was this willingness. And that's what Jesus sees in this man, isn't it? He sees this great understanding, this great revelation and this incredible faith. In fact, Jesus says, I've barely seen this anywhere else. He's amazed by his faith. Seems like even Jesus is surprised by what he finds from this man. There's only two times in the Gospels Jesus is amazed. One is because of a lack of faith in his hometown, and he can only, you know, heal a few people. Some of us would be happy with that. And then the faith of the centurion, where he has an understanding and a revelation of who Jesus really is. And I want to encourage us today to ask the Holy Spirit that wherever we go, that we hear with God's ears, we see with God's eyes, that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, anoint our ears. Holy Spirit, anoint our eyes. I pray, Lord, that we'll never see anybody as too small or trivial or insignificant. I pray that we'll never see anybody as too sinful or tainted or messed up. I pray that we'll never see anybody as too strong or tough or robust or together for you, Lord. Pray that you'd help us to see people as they really are, to see them as you see them, Lord. 
Lord, I thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit. I thank you that we've been made for mission. And Lord, we determine in our own hearts again today to not judge a book by its cover. I pray right now, even for those that we've already judged, people in our workplace, people in our families, people on our streets and and our neighbours, friends, people we don't particularly like. Lord, I ask that you challenge those thoughts again, challenge those perspectives again. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that it would lead, Lord, even this week to conversations about you, Jesus. I pray that it will lead this week to opportunities of kindness, to opportunities to pray for people, Lord, that will open hearts and lives to see, Lord, that they are ready to receive you after all. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.